good stuff. Well, I am so excited today. Today is the day I've been looking forward to for really for years. Um, Shelly and I, she is my partner in life and she's my partner in ministry. And I've wanted to share a moment like this for a long time. And so we're rounding out the marriage uh, series today. And I just thought, man, I want to hear from Shelly and I want you guys to hear uh, her wisdom and her passion and the first service was good and I think there was people that wanted to vote for her to be the preacher every week so uh, you know I think you'll be blessed but, uh, we're going to read the scriptures and Shelly and Shelly's going to come so would you stand today in honor of the reading of God's holy word it's coming out of the book of the prophet Isaiah uh, chapter 55, Isaiah 55, verse 8. Hear God's word. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Welcome, Shelly. Alright, so um, a lot of you know Shelly well, and then a lot of you really don't know her well at all. And uh, you know, I wanted y'all to get to know her better. And one of the things that you might not know about Shelly's story is that before she and I were married, she was married before, um, she was married to a guy that was one of her best friends, like her whole life, knew him really well, and then very early on in their marriage, he went outside the marriage, and that marriage ended up falling apart, and so that's a big part of her story, and during that time, these verses in particular that we read became very, very powerful for you, so would you just share with us you know, what happened then and how that took place? Um, so when I found out that he had gone outside of marriage, I've always held the covenant of marriage very important, and I believe in the covenant of marriage. I don't think it's just, I think it's a covenant before God. And so when, um, I found out that he was outside of marriage, I was willing to fight for our marriage. I was willing to go to counseling. I was willing to do the things that might be needed to save our marriage, and I did believe that if we would have fought for our marriage, our marriage could have been stronger in the end. Um, he was not willing to fight as much, and um, through months of seeking God, breathing God, um, just laying before God and asking Him, like, do you want me to file for a divorce, Lord, or am I called to stay in this marriage, single yet married, waiting to see if He redeemed it? Um, I would sit and pray and have my quiet time to read scripture. And one day I was reading and I came across this verse. And I just kind of stopped my tracks because I realized that um, when I said, when I read, his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, I had to kind of have a reality check and realize that part of what I was holding on to was my own hopes and dreams. I, my entire life, from five up, when someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a mom. And, um, and so I truly, I know looking at my life now, I'm like, you are a mom. But in that moment, I was not a mom. And so 
I had to realize that part of me was seeking Christ and part of me was holding on to my hopes and dreams. And to really have to surrender and be okay with, if I file for divorce and we are over, then I might never be mom. I might never get married. And having to surrender that and truly believe what that verse said, that his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And trust in the fact that whatever he had called me to, if it looked completely different from what I always visioned for my life, that that's where abundance was and that's where fulfillment was. Because that would be what he had for me, not what I had for myself. And that is so uh, powerful. Um, that was such a powerful, truly powerful time in your life. What was helpful for you during that time? Um, for me, like I said, I was really trying to walk the path well. I was trying to, my goal was at the end to be able to look at myself in the mirror and know that I seek Christ, whatever the outcome was, and that I followed him and not just been reactive. Um, and so I tried to surround myself with people who would help point me to Jesus. And um, what I realized was there was kind of two groups of people. Um, there was one group of Christians who would come in my life and give a word of wisdom and then walk out. And I felt like they were trying to fix me or trying to just feel better about themselves by giving me some <clears throat> awesome word. And I would call it a Christian Christian cliche, which was true. Like they would say, remember, you know, God's got this. Or remember, you know, all of us work together at this. And I believe those things to be true. But it was the people who sat with me in the body of Christ that actually were the ones who helped me. The people who would sit there day after day and had no agenda. The ones who, there was no limit on my grief or no timetable on when I should be okay and moving on. Um, the people who would speak truth to me, but not truth to just make me feel better or to make them feel better, but just truth. Like one of my very best friends during that time, um, I remember one day I was upset because my ex's life seemed to be flourishing and mine was falling apart. And I was like, this just is not fair. I'm even seeking God. And he looked at me and he said, but do you want God to be fair, Shelly? And it was like, oh, you know, like, I don't really want him to be fair to me with all of my sins and all of my struggles. I, I want his grace and I want his mercy. And, and it was just a reality. It was, a, it was probably the most helpful thing that anyone said to me during that time because it pointed me to the cross. It pointed me to Jesus instead of just some neat idea. Um, so I would say the people who embody Christ, the people who were, who were Jesus in the flesh to me during that time, so I, I appreciate you sharing that so much. Um, and I think that one of the things I so admire about you and appreciate about you, even though there was pain in this loss, is you know in your very being, you believe you believe in marriage, you still believe in marriage, and you know that marriages can end, and that that's a reality. And so, I, for me, you just possess a lot of wisdom on this. And so, would you share, just from your heart, like, what do you think are the keys to having a real Christian marriage, a, a healthy marriage? Um, I think there are several things. I think both of you, both people in the marriage, should be 
seeking Christ for their fulfillment and for their needs so that they're not coming to the other person and draining them, wanting them to be their God. Um, I think you should pray together. I think those things are important. Um, go to church. You know, those things. But what I really think is that um, it's being raw and honest and humble with each other. A lot of marriages that I see fall apart, there's so much that's not said, and then it's all said at once, and it's, it's too much. And so I think that over time, being honest, being having the conversations that are hard, being humble, letting your partner see you broken, letting them see that um, you can be not okay. And, it, and I think in that, if the other person is truly seeking God for their fulfillment and their needs to be met, they're going to be able to give Jesus' love in that moment. So when you're struggling, when you're not okay, when you're sinning, when you're not who you should be, they love you like Christ loves you unconditionally. And that gives a foundation that then penetrates you to being who God's called you to be. And when you're both giving that to each other, when you're both giving a foundation of unconditional love to the sinner, to the broken person in the marriage, I think it's, um, that's where you get to the sweet spot of like the real, real love. Yeah, it's funny. We like called this sermon series um, Happily Ever After. Almost like as tongue-in-cheek, but that's really not a good title, you know, and you kind of talked to me about that. Um, that happiness is not really the goal. It shouldn't be our goal. Right. I think a better title would be like Joy Ever After. I think there's a big difference in joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. I think joy is knowing Christ is present in all circumstances and knowing that His peace surpasses anything and resting in Him in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And often, and it's deep, Often, happiness is shallow. It's self-seeking, momentarily okayness. And often when you seek happiness, you go towards selfishness. And when you seek joy, you go towards Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so good. Um, when we met uh, a few years ago, um, you, know, you had, I mean, you had done so much work on yourself. And you had already worked through a lot of the pain of the divorce. But, you know, I think we find that that pain still goes on. Like, and that's something you've talked to me about, is the, just that the effect of divorce on people. So can you share about some of that? Yeah, I think we live in a culture where divorce is so common. And so just, we just kind of are used to it. We almost see it like a breakup instead of a, a breaking of a covenant before God. I mean, even TV, a lot of times you'll watch a show and you find yourself rooting for the affair because there's more chemistry there than in a married couple. Um, our culture has so diluted the covenant of marriage. But I think the person who's going through it, um, it, it lingers. The pain lingers. The reality lingers. Um, and you're surrounded by people initially, um, but then they kind of think it's over, just like a breakup. But it's just little things. Like when you go to the doctor, you check married, single, or divorced. And so it's just you go to the doctor and there's kind of a sting. You, um, you sit through a wedding and they say, let no man break up what God has brought together. And I'm like, well, I fine. You know, it's a little sting. Um, I just think there's constant work. Um, because, it, because it is a, a big deal. Because it is a covenant before God. Um, I know for me, I, I've done a lot of work. I've been counseling. And then we got married, and I realized when we would argue, I was very self-protective. 
and it was because there was pain still. So I had to pull back more layers and process through that and become truly open. Um, and then probably the most surprising to me was when I had children, because I really, you know, wanted them to know God. I wanted to share Christ with them. And I would sing Jesus loves me, and I would do all this stuff. But I think that through my divorce, the reality of God allows pain into your life, even when you seek Him, became so real that I believed in Job. I believed in all this theologically, but when I realized in my life that when I seeked Him and He still allowed the pain so deep. Um, then when I had my children, I realized that sometimes I would kind of stand between them and God because I wanted to protect them from pain that I needed to <coughs> And um, so over the years, I've had to realize that if I stand between them and God and protect them from pain, I'm, I'm preventing them from an intimate relationship with Christ because sometimes it's through the pain, it's through the brokenness that we really get to, to experience the sweetness of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus. Yeah. And so it's just constant learning and growing. That is really rich. That is powerful to hear. Um, so, one of the things you talked about was that from a young age you wanted to be a mom. You wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And a lot of people might not know, but when you were young, you thought you might marry a preacher one day. And so then, you did. <laughs> so, I just want you to share with us, you know, what is that like being uh, married to the preacher and you know being in ministry in a church and and then you know is it different from what you expected? Well first I have to say um, one time my ex and I were in an argument his response was you just should marry the preacher and I think pretty funny but was <laughs> 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 correct I really it's very different from what I thought um, when you get into the clergy world you know you're meet all these clergy spouses, and it's just a whole different weird world. But um, <laughs> they would always say, you know, a struggle for a lot of spouses that, is that they would experience one thing at home or have an argument, and then when they would come to church, they would deal with hypocrisy from the pulpit. And honestly, I've never struggled with that. I feel like someone's very transparent, and I've never felt that. But what I didn't expect is um, I sit in the front of the church not because I'm like, Oh, I want to sit in front. But because I can feel um, any tension or I can feel when people are like watching their clock or when they are disagreeing with Tom or annoyed or frustrated. And that's a distraction for me because there's a little bit of me that's like a mama bear when I'm watching him preach. But I want to come to church. You know, I want to come and grow. I want to have a message spoken to me. So like I never let a woman be about because I want to come to church. Um, but I did not expect that mama bear in me while I was trying to be fed. Um, the other big thing is um, my children. I really try and balance between them understanding that we do have a role in this church and we are called to this church and that's a gift that we have and also letting them be kids. Um, I don't go to the first service and I think that might not always be loved but um, I don't think my children, I don't want resentment to grow in them of having to sit through three hours of church every Sunday. So we've made a choice that I come to the second service. Um, I, I, my goal for them is to love the Lord with all they are and all they have and desire to be in ministry one day. And I feel like if they feel the weight of uh, our ministry on their back, 
their whole life, they might go, oh, I want a break. And so I don't ever want that to be on them. I also, you know, try and balance between wanting them to be presentable and knowing their kid. I mean, as they grow up, they're probably going to make some stupid decisions. And I hope that I can be the type of mom and the type of pastor's wife that does not put pressure on them to present perfection or to present um, in a way that the church approves, but that they get to have their own journey towards Christ. So it's, for me, it's every Sunday is a balance of with them and trying to be fed while also feeling a little pressure. Yeah, and you're a single mom on Sunday too. I mean, it's like a lot of people get like that, like right. the pastor's head is just somewhere else entirely. So, you know, you really get a lot there. Um, so we've, we've covered a lot of ground in this marriage series, and, you know, I hope that people have gotten something out of it, but there may be people here whose marriages are struggling. You know, so what would you say to folks whose marriages are struggling? First, I want to say, we live in such a world that makes everyone's marriage look pretty, because you look on Facebook or you look at different stuff, people hear you're like, you know, putting all their dirty laundry out there, which I think they might just pull it in a little bit, or they are just presenting perfection. I mean, I've talked to people on the phone and they're so frustrated with their spouse. And then I look on Facebook and they're going, I love my spouse, he's amazing. <laughs> and within an hour, you know? Um, but so the first thing I would say is we all struggle. Like, you're not alone. And I think we feel alone because we look at the world and then we look in our own homes. And the second, well, first I just want to make a caveat. If there's any abuse in your home, if there is sexual, emotional, or physical abuse, you need help and you probably need to separate. Like. That is not a godly marriage, and that is not glorifying to God to just keep pushing <coughs> back to most people. I would say, um, first, I'm a true believer in counseling. I mean, I'm a believer in counseling if you're struggling. I'm a believer in counseling if you're really in a tough spot. A lot of times, like I said earlier, things build up, and it's really hard to be able to even articulate what you're feeling, much less have a conversation. But then I also think tune-ups are healthy, like, I mean, Tom and I are in that whole marriage just because it's always helpful to have someone else speak in truth to your life. Um, I think godly friendships are very important. Um, I, I learned early on in our marriage that there were certain people I would talk to, and when I got off the phone with them, I actually liked Tom less because, like, I would talk to them, and I would be venting and frustrated, and they just fed the venting. They just fed the frustration. Then there was other people in my life who I would talk to and they would validate my feelings, they would understand what I was feeling. But they eventually would point me back to Christ and point me to who his character actually is. Um, so I quickly learned who to talk to. I no longer talk to these people with my marriage. I talk to these people because my goal is not to prove that he's in the wrong. My goal is to love him and for our marriage to glorify God and for me to grow as a person in my marriage. Yeah. I, I just want to amen that for a second. Like, as a pastor, I've seen so many marriages that just really struggle, and you know, every marriage needs, like both husbands and wives need people, good friends, who you can be honest with, but who will support you in your marriage. I mean, that is just so important. Um, let's see. Okay, this is a little changing of years, but... We live in a culture where if we did a demographic study of Byron or Peach County or Middle Georgia, we know that 
there are so many families that are not traditional two-parent homes. Lots of single moms, single dads, um, lots of you know, you know, kids going back and forth. So how do you feel like the church does in terms of making space uh, for single people or for non-traditional um, marriages? Or well, I, I don't think they do. Um, I think there's several groups that fall into that. There's one that's, they graduate from college, they come home, and so there's that group single people. There's the group of people whose marriages have fallen apart, and so now they're single, not much choice. And then there's people whose spouses have died. Yeah. I think the first group, I think in the church our side, it's hard because to get them to church is difficult. Like, unless their family's here and they come with their family every week, like, they're not really motivated to wake up on a Sunday morning to come sit through something that doesn't really relate to their culture, that's not really relevant. Um, I think in a larger church or these mega churches, you can have like a small group for people in their 20s. And then they have a community, they have a group that they want to be a part of. Um, talk about the answer of how we can get better at this, but I think that we can be aware. I think the second group, people who are um, single because of divorce, most of them chose to be in the church before their marriage fell apart. Some of them have come for community or just for some support because they're so alone. And I know in a church our size, those people are often in groups of primarily married people. And I think the married people feel like they feel like they're part of the community because they're there every week and they see them as part of the community. But I think the single person among the married people feel very single and they feel very divorced. And they're always aware that they're alone in that room. And I think for now, at least that married people can at least be aware that they're in that spot um, and not assume that they don't feel alone amongst the group. Yeah, that's, that's really good. To just be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And hopefully do more. Right, that. right. Um, so getting back to these verses in Isaiah, that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are so far above our ways. Um, can you just tie it up for us? Like, how, how do these verses speak to all of us? You know, what do these verses have to say to anybody in this room, wherever they're at in their life? I mean, I think these verses apply to all of us. I think that all of us have a vision for where we should be today, in our life, in general. I mean, it can apply to if your children are not growing who you think they should be. If you're struggling with infertility. If um, there's so many things in our life where we have a vision for what we want, and it's usually a godly vision. It's usually something that is good. Um, but when we don't see it fulfilled, we struggle. And I think that really trusting that His ways are higher than our ways, that His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what you see in front of you. Just being able to truly surrender in that moment and say, okay, God, this is what I want. This is my heart's desire. This is what I need. But I trust you. I trust that your way is higher. I trust that your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I cannot even begin to conceive what you actually have for me. And trusting that what he has for you is where you're going to experience abundance and 
filled in. And when you continue to have tunnel vision on what you see for you, you're, you're missing out on that abundance. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I just want that for, so, for everyone. I love what you're saying. Um, you, you shared with me one time that you had this vision one time of God like holding you um, when you were going through the divorce. Can you talk? You mind sharing about that? Yeah, I'm sure it was some of y'all. But um, I remember when I was just praying, I was just trying so hard to do it right and walk through it well and honor God. And um, I, I just had this vision of me like working hard and like the vision kind of started pulling out and I was able to see that I was in this huge hand and then the hand became it's just this huge God. And, and it was almost like God said, you can work hard or you can rest, but I'm walking this path. And so you can either rest in me while I walk the path, or you can wear yourself out while I walk the path. But you're not walking this path, I am. And to just be able to rest in him when life doesn't seem like it should be, and to trust that he's the one walking the path for me. Do you see why I love this woman? Hey, is she awesome? Yeah, thank you so much. I just, I am so blessed by you, and I'm so blessed, and I hope, I think we're all blessed by what you shared today, and uh, I know that, I just know in a room this size, there are folks that are struggling with different things, so um, we're going to sing a song in a second, but before we sing, would you just pray for, pray for us? Dear God, thank you so much for um, the opportunity to be at this church and for the opportunity to just know these people. And God, I just pray that you will please help us to, in the smallest of things that seem so trivial, to the big things that are so important and so real, help us to trust you, help us to surrender to you and to trust that you are good and, um, and that we can just rely on that and rest in that. In your name, I pray. Amen. Thank you.